Tell you what, I'm ready to go. I took uh, an exhilarating bike ride on the mountain bike trails in Coon Rapids this morning. Got up early. It was fun, beautiful, peaceful out there. I did, however, run through the orb weevil spider. You know, you get cobwebs all over you. And so I think I've got a sneak into the submission. Some of them got in, so we need to pray them out for us before we start, okay? Dear God, I pray that um, this message could be spoken clearly, that you would speak through me. Uh, God, I pray that we would all have open hearts, open ears, ears to hear uh, what you would have us do in all that we talk about today. Lord, I, could, I pray that we could answer the questions of what life truly is and what the life you came to bring is like and that we would have our, our, just our spirits open to what it looks like and how we can implement it in our life and how we can be different and how we can be a good influence on other people for you. I pray that we can do that today. In your name I pray, amen. I was sitting there praying. I said, Lord, make this message thunder. And I prayed that in faith. So, uh, but I also saw the forecast. We got the storm rolling in, so it, it might thunder. So, <laughs> Tried to make that funny. But. Who's my neighbor? That was a question that was asked of Jesus. It's a pretty complex question, isn't it? Uh, You might think, well, it's the person who lives beside me. Uh, When we talk theologically about it, it definitely has broader horizons than that. And there's a lot more to it than that. And so the person that asked Jesus that was a lawyer. So you know there was a lot more to it that he was looking for. But uh, it's a tough question. There's always tough questions. It seems like life's full of tests, and maybe you're old enough that you've gotten past all the tests or exams that you had to take, but I had a seminary buddy wrote, or wrote this specific question down and sent it to me because he got a kick out of it. Describe the history of the papacy from its origins, origins to present day, concentrating on its social, political, economic, religious, and philosophical impact on Europe, Asia, America, and Africa. Be brief, concise, and specific. (laughs) I also saw this question. Define the universe. Give three examples. How do you do that? (laughs) All kinds of test questions that might seem simple on the surface, but they're not always all that easy. Uh, For instance, here's this question. How long did the Hundred Years' War last? That would be 116 years. Uh, Here's another one. Which country manufactures Panama hats? Ecuador. From what animal do we get cat gut? Sheep and horses, of course. Uh, Which month do the Russians celebrate the October Revolution? November. November. Not always easy. We take driver's tests, exam, polygraph tests. Maybe perhaps your spouse sets you down from time to time for very deep assessments that you need to pass, those sorts of things. Life's full of tests and even entrance exams. But there is a test that marks our progress and can tell us how we're doing spiritually. Uh, It's in the Bible. It's the neighbor test. It's the neighbor test. When we're talking about God, 
how well we're doing with him spiritually. The question is, how well are we walking in love? So the who is my neighbor question can give us a pretty good idea of just how well we're doing at that. Ironically, the neighbor question is linked to eternal life. So it's even bigger than that, right? So the lawyer comes up and he asks the question, the spiritual question. He says to Jesus, how do I pass the eternal life test, in other words? What do I need to do to inherit is the word that he uses, eternal life. Well, one would think, all right, I can remember I had a brother-in-law say to me, so tell me about this baptism thing. Boy, you don't ever get them served up like that, right? But this lawyer comes up and he serves it up for Jesus to hit it out of the park. But Jesus knows him, knows he's a lawyer, and knows that he's probably not really looking for a genuine, truthful answer. So how would you answer if you're Jesus? Well, he does well, I think. Hey, you're the lawyer. You know the law. What's it say? How do you read it? And the guy's answer is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, hey, you got it. That's it. Do that and you'll live. But then... Then, true to his form, but who's my neighbor? It's a spiritual test question. That's it. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. You'll have eternal life. And that could have been it. But the lawyer asks the next question. But probably for our benefit, it's a good thing that he did. Because Jesus had a chance to send him packing. You ever had a chance to send a lawyer packing? I don't know. It's got to feel pretty good, don't you think? The question, who is my neighbor? It's not just the person who lives beside you. And this is such a big question because when you go back to the Old Testament, you would be surprised about how much a neighbor is talked about. And so in all of that, when God lays down the law, and within the law, he talks so much about a neighbor, God's just wanting us to know how to treat people. And he's wanting us to know, even if it's the law, he's wanting us to know, he's wanting us to live out from our heart how to treat a neighbor. Case in point, here's a couple of them from Leviticus. When's the last time you read Leviticus? Well, here you go, right? Do not defraud your neighbor or rob him. That's kind of an easy one. Do not hold back the wages of a hired man overnight. Pay him right there. Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind, but fear your God. I'm the Lord. Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. Do not go about spreading slander among your people. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. I'm the Lord. Do not hate your brother in your heart. Listen to this. Rebuke your neighbor frankly so that you will not share in his guilt. 
you got a responsibility to your neighbor to say, hey, man, are you sure you should do that? I don't think you should do that. you got a responsibility to separate yourself from the fault of your neighbor. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Keep saying that. I am the Lord. And I'm telling you this so that you know how to treat your neighbor. In other words, I want you to figure out love of your fellow man. Otherwise, you're never going to truly be alive. Simple as that. So the lawyer, smart as he was, condensed that all down. Love God. Obviously, that's the first one. Do it with all your guts. But also, there's your neighbor. What are you going to do with him or her? How do you treat your fellow man? We've got to figure out how to love him or her as well. With all of our heart, soul, and our mind? Like God? Well, the distinguishing is love your neighbor as yourself. I think some of you don't like yourself well enough. How are you going to love your neighbor? How well you love God with everything you are allows you to like yourself a lot better. And then the neighbor thing comes a little bit more easy. Who is my neighbor? Rather than getting into a war of words, which is what the lawyer wanted, what's Jesus' response? A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell in among thieves. They beat him, they stripped him, and they left him half dead. That's probably not what the guy was expecting. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, a worker in the temple, all about God's stuff, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. All right. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And the priest was also going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and the Levite as well. When you use the word down, it makes sense because Jerusalem's up in the mountains. Jericho is down by the Dead Sea in the plains. So you go down when you go that way. But that's the point. They're going that way. The priest and the Levite have just come from church. And on their way to Jericho, an opportunity is afforded them to show their love to their neighbor And they pass by on the other side. Church people not doing church things. Mm. But a dreaded Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, poured poured on oil and wine, Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins, gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. When I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. The dreaded Samaritan 
cared and had mercy on the Jewish man who had fell into the thieves. Answered a question with a story. That's what you got to do with a lawyer, I think. And it's perfect. Do you remember the last Seinfeld issue episode? Anyone? Like the most watched TV show ever in the history of the world. All four of the main characters of the show get busted and they get thrown in jail. Why? Because they broke the Good Samaritan rule, law. They saw a woman getting robbed, her purse was getting snatched, and they stood there and they did nothing about it. Police officer comes up and says, you're guilty of breaking the Good Samaritan law, which states that if you see somebody in need and you don't help, you've broke the law. Put them in the clink. Put them in the slammer. A show about nothing for people who are all caught up in themselves. How better way to end the show with them not being good Samaritans and getting thrown in jail for it? Would you get thrown in jail? Who's your neighbor? And how are you treating him? Are you loving him like you love yourself? American families give 14 times as much as an Italian family gives. An American family gives seven times as much as a German family gives. Religious people give four times as much as secular people do. Religion drives charitable giving. In other words, if we love God to a certain degree, it helps us with being able to give to our fellow man. So Jesus asked, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? An expert in the law, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus just said, go and do likewise. I wonder what it would be like if you were the one that asked him that. Really, you are. Because when you sit in the mirror or when you lay your head on the pillow at night and you are evaluating and you are thinking about that person who wronged you or this or that, there's probably some justification that happens as to why, oh, I don't want to do that. Or you get a mile past the guy on the road, I should pick him up, and you didn't. I was with Lillian the other day. We drove down Main Street in Coon Rapids, And there was a guy who was visibly inebriated walking back and forth down Main Street. He seemed to be doing all right. There was no doubt about it that he was drunk. Didn't stop, didn't offer a ride, did nothing. Because we were on our way to Dollar General to get candy. (laughs) Got the candy. On the way back to the school, we see... That man, with a group of people around him, blood on his face. (laughs) I can't remember if I said we should have picked him up before we saw that or after that. Do you remember? I knew it right when I drove by him that I should have stopped. I knew it when I was past him that I should turn around and go and offer him a ride. But I was a Levite. I was a priest. 
What do you know? I'm a pastor. <laughs> and there he is, face full of blood when we drive back. How come I'm not ready? Are you ready? If I'm not able to get to my neighbor like I should, I'm probably not loving God like the law or like what the lawyer said with all of my heart. For if I was fully engaged in my life and my love for God, I'd be more ready. I'd be more ready. I think that through the law and what Jesus said to the lawyer that day, I think that God, Jesus as well, are like our father and our mother. And they would really like us to show well. They would really like us to be happy. They would like us to be outgoing. They would like us to be known for being good and good to others. Moms, dads, are you, you feeling me here? You just want your best for your children. I think sometimes this is why that we get involved with our kids maybe a little too much like dads trying to live your life out through your son on the ball field, putting too much pressure on him. I know you want him to show well. You want some name recognition for him. All of these things are probably legitimate desires that you want your child to be great. And mom, this is probably why you do your, their homework for them. <laughs> you want them to show well. This is all what we want as parents. And God, our Father, just wants the same. He wants us to show well. But also, he wants it to come from our heart, of course. He doesn't want it just to be external. He wants us to understand. He wants us to be alive on the inside. And then also to meet that out to other people around us. He wants us to be his servants to show how he does that. And he wants us to be the visible representatives for him, for all of that. So mom, dad, you can see what he's saying, what he's feeling. From your heart, I want you to love me. And from your heart, I want you to love your fellow man just like you would yourself, love yourself. Do to him what you would do, want done to yourself. All of this could maybe be wrapped up in a word. It's kind of a crazy word. Magnanimous. I'll give you a definition. There's kind of a double definition to it. Magnanimous, from Merriam-Webster Dictionary, is showing a lofty and courageous spirit and showing nobility of feeling and generosity of mind. You've never used the word, but I think that's what you want your kids to be. Maybe not heard that word in a while, or maybe that's the way your spouse describes you all the time. Magnanimous. Do you have a lofty and courageous spirit that is alive and brimming with zest? And then to take that and attach it to and complement it with nobility of spirit and generosity of mind to your fellow man. That's an alive soul. That's the type of fellow that would be a good friend. Certainly a good leader that would be worthy of following. Every one of you at the bottom of your heart inspires to greatness. A magnanimous lifestyle is capable of setting the tone for one's entire life 
transforming it, giving it purpose, and causing your personality to flourish, which is what you want for your kids. How about not for you? And I think that this is what God is trying to do for, through the law and what he says to us about our neighbor. I want your personality to flourish, and I want you to be alive. It's a life ideal. It's an ideal of personal greatness, personal excellence, and benefiting others. All the entire law is summed up in those two commandments. Jesus says, I've come to give life and life to the full. Being magnanimous is the conquest of greatness in your life that you want. It's not to content to initiate, but it finishes. It's not content to have good intentions, but to achieve, to achieve personal excellence. So let me ask you this question. Do you feel like you are a gift to others? A magnanimous person is very comfortable with their strong attributes, believes that he or she is noble, and believes that he or she has something to offer. It's the perfect, perfect balance of taking a high view of yourself with the purpose of benefiting others. A strong personal regard mixed with humility. I think we got this humility thing all wrong. And I think that some of us are guilty of having small hearts. I don't think that this is what Jesus intended for us. If you want to write this down, I've got four things that go into being a magnanimous person. Four virtues. The first one is the ability to make right and moral decisions. If we are loving God like, like, the, like the law says, with everything that we are, we are going to have the ability to make right and moral decisions. We will want that. Number two we have a persistence in the face of fear. We got courage. Not afraid. Or we are able to overcome our fear. We're not necessarily going to care so much what people think about us if we do these sorts of things. People are going to start talking. People are going to wonder. But you and I set our face like flint and forward we go in the face of all that fear. Number three. For me to be magnanimous, I have to have the ability to make my passions, emotions, and feelings secondary. I cannot let them rule my life. Self-control. And lastly, I have to have the desire, and by that I mean the want to, give others their due. I need to be a person of justice that needs to stem and flow from my heart to give other people their due, just like I would want them to do to me. 
Hebrews 3 verse 1 says, Brothers and sisters, you are holy partners. That means set apart for a heavenly calling. Ah, we're called to much more, I think, than what we are living out. Check this out. This is from the College of uh, the American College Health Association. They surveyed 100,000 students from 53 campuses. 84% feel they are unable to cope. 74% said that they are exhausted emotionally. Six, uh, 66% feel very sad. And over half are overwhelmed or full of anxiety. The study linked all of that to this. Kids are seen as projects of their parents. I know we want them to show well, but for some reason we do that externally. We don't, we don't get it right. Another study in the UK, 70% of college-age students are depressed. 70%. I'm going to quote that. This staggering statistic has the ministers of health in the nation worried about potential suicide in the generations to come. That's a, that's a horrible statistic. And I, got, I, got, I don't know what the statistic is in America, but we don't have purpose. We're depressed. We are overwhelmed. And we're not magnanimous. And we don't have life to the full for some reason. It all comes down to your neighbor. Hey, so I'm up here saying that your neighbor is a very important part to your personality flourishing. Are you going to listen? Have you dropped out on any notes? What are you going to do differently? Your neighbor is very important to this. What can be done differently? How can you be magnanimous? Bill Havens was on the 1936 Olympic team, the canoeing team, the four-man team. And the team was getting ready and preparing for the 1936 Olympics in Berlin. The team was the odds-on favorite to win the gold. It was the first year of the Olympics for that particular event, and this team had won all the world championships and had fared well, won all of those, and so they were the odds-on favorite to win the gold medal in Berlin that year. As the time approached, Bill Havens found out that his wife was pregnant, and doing a little math, found out that she was probably going to deliver during the time that he would be across the pond in Berlin for the Olympics. He elected not to go. Stayed home with his wife for the birth of his son. The four-man Olympic team with his replacement did go over to Berlin. They did, in fact, win the gold medal and celebrated that. And Bill was back at home with his new son, Gave up the gold medal. Fast forward, 1952 Olympics, Helsinki, Finland. Bill Havens is in Georgia where he lived, and he received a cable 
from his son that said this, Dad, I won. I'm bringing home the gold medal to you that you gave up to be with me at my birth. The great story of a magnanimous man, huh? Now, I know that was his wife and that was his son. I know that it wasn't his neighbor. But that's where we got to be as we approach our neighbor. So, I will just leave you with this today. Come on, I'm home. I bet you a buck that you have totally underestimated how much the Old Testament talks about your neighbor. I'll bet you two bucks that you have underestimated what Jesus said right here, that eternal life hinges on who your neighbor is and how you treat him, how you approach him. So we sing a song of invitation here. We need one thing, and that's God. God has said to us, if you're going to follow me and love me with everything you got, I want you to go out and feed my lambs. I want you to go out and do to others what I have done for you. I want you to be my ambassador, my representative. So as we sing about God being our one thing and our love for him, let's also rededicate, recommit, make any changes that we need to make concerning our neighbor. Let's sing. Let's sing.